0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Bonnie Plants. BonniePlants.com Hi, this is Celia Cutcher, host of Animal
1: Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. and welcome to a taste of the past. I'm your host Linda Palaccio on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And you know, I've always wondered what our fascination with sweets is all about. I mean, certainly everybody loves a little bit of sugar, a little sweet. You might not have a sweet tooth as they say, but I'm sure that you everyone enjoys if it's even just a lump of sugar in your coffee. Loves the taste of sweets. And why, in fact, are sweets so universally loved? In fact, our affinity for sweetness, as Sidney Mintz mentioned in the foreword to this wonderful book we're going to talk about, permeates our language. Think about it. Sweetie, I said sweet tooth. Honey, sweetheart. Sugar has been, as Sidney Mintz, I'm going to quote something he said. He said, sugar has been a part of new world history of half a millennium and for at least four times that in the old world. It's a food that has meant much to humans and one that has supplanted its predecessor worldwide. That would be honey, right? And it's a metaphor for so much. It's history brimming over with the cruelty of man to man, but also with thoughts of sweetness and all the pleasures that taste connotes. And Sidney is an an anthropologist and historian, author of, uh, amongst many things, sweetness and power. So the man knows sugar. And he wrote this forward in the new... Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets, which is a fabulous compendium of all things sweet. And someone else who is, quote, worthy is here with me today to talk about it, and that's Dara Goldstein. Dara is the editor-in-chief of this wonderful tome, I have to say, <laughs> a huge compendium, so large that neither of us brought it <laughs> into the studio today. And Dara is... Um, She's the founder and former editor of Gastronomica, if many of you um, remember that, know that magazine. It's still in existence. And she is a professor of Russian studies, Russian and Russian. language and Russian, yeah, at Williams College. And the author of four different Russian cookbooks, as well as many other articles and books. And Dara, I welcome you.
2: I'm so glad to be back, Linda.
1: What <laughs> inspired this book? Now, I, I have to. It, I will say it, that I did recently do um, a show on the history of sugar with Andy Smith, and so we talked about that whole the whole dark side of, of sugar and the industrialization and and you know where you know different countries and when it arrived. But this this is a little bit of everything. How did you how did you come to do this book?
2: In a roundabout way, Oxford called and actually asked me if I would do the companion to World Food. <laughs> and I thought that's not a good project for me. I'll inevi- inevitably irritate, alienate, marginalize. I can't really Uh, hierarchize the different culinary cultures in the world without making some mistakes and it wasn't a project that I wanted to take on but I liked the idea of working with them they wanted to work with me and so I said let me get back to you and think about what I might be able to do and it came to me almost immediately because I do have one of those so called uh, sweet Sweet tooth tooth. (laughs) or I should say sweet teeth in my case and propose this And, and that's how it all started
1: well it's interesting because um, using the term sweet tooth and um, sugar and spice and everything nice I mean we you know it's interesting because you say sugar or sweetness and it sort of automatically makes you smile and you don't and you don't think of that necessarily when um, when you think of spices spices you get serious you know but there's a lot of seriousness around sweetness.
2: There is, because it really, if you think about all of the foodstuffs in the world, sugar arguably has had more impact on the course of human history than just about anything else.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and as Sydney points out in the foreword that, I mean, it has it has really altered the course of history in many ways over the past more than a thousand years. It has,
2: years. for yeah. better and for worse. Yes. I mean, it's led to extraordinary, beautiful creations, but it's also... Uh, Create, uh, made us enter into the dark side of things.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, our, but you know what? We we have everyone craves a certain food stuff or a, or a flavor, and and that's very individual. And yet, as I mentioned, universally, we all we all are sort of. Have this fascination with sweets
2: We're primed for it There's an evolutionary reason for it Okay. Um, If you think about way back when uh, When people were foraging For food and not just in a a Sort of leisurely way Or trendy way as we we tend to do now It was a question of survival Uh, We were drawn to Whatever was ripe And therefore sweet Because that is what would give energy And energy was what people needed For sustenance And also, the plants that tended to be bitter would be toxic, more likely. Mm -hmm. So the entire uh, urge for survival depended on the sweet. It's interesting. They've done scientific studies that show that even E. coli, these motile bacteria, will tend to go towards sweet substances, even though they don't have brains that are telling them that it's sweet. So it's built into a lot of uh, organisms. That's interesting,
1: and and um, and as far as our our palate receptors, I don't know what are there are there more sweet receptors? We think no, I don't
2: know. No, it's just that um, there are receptors that go into the brain, and it uh, is received in the same way that you receive things like cocaine mm. or other areas that give you pleasure. So the dopamine. Uh, kicks in with sugar.
1: No wonder they call it a
2: sugar high when yeah. <laughs> little kids get but it just but too it, much. It's true, but if you think about if you think about the coca leaf, uh, if you were to brew a tea from it, it would be maybe mildly stimulating and mm-hmm. not dangerous. It's just that when you refine it down and you get this powder then it acts very quickly and it goes very directly. It's the same thing with sugar. Sugar is not intrinsically bad for you. If you've ever had wonderful fresh sugarcane juice, mm. it's an absolute delight on a day like it is today in New York hot when it's steamy. hot and <laughs> steamy. It'll refresh you, but it won't. Do you any harm? It's just when you start refining it down and you get it in its very intense form and have too much of it that becomes problematic.
1: Mm, indeed. Well, and as you mentioned, um, people looking foraging for food and and certainly nothing has the caloric impact that sugar has. I mean, that you can you can get a lot more calories and sustenance in a from. A smaller amount of sugar than it would take. Um, so com- I think the comparison that I read was, you know, in in the book. In fact, was it would take five times as many acres to to get that caloric impact from a, you know, to raise a, the cattle that would mm-hmm. be compared.
2: One thing that is quite interesting to contemplate is that until fairly recently, the past hundred years or so, uh, sugar was a medicine, right, and. Uh, we talk about a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, but it actually was the medicine. And that goes back to ancient Chinese practice, ancient Ayurvedic practice, and even the system of humoral medicine. The Western society relied on for a long time because if you assign different properties to food and different properties to people based on the, the four humors within mm-hmm. them, sugar is moist and heating both of which are really important qualities because if, if you're dried up and if you're cold, then sugar was seen as something that would uh, loosen the fluids. So an expectorant, for instance, if you have a lot of phlegm, mm-hmm. sugar was prescribed. So it was used... Uh, and it was very expensive, and even today, if the price of sugar goes up, the price of drugs will go up because it's used to They're all sugar-coated, coat right, yeah.
1: and sugar-coated. Now, that's interesting, too, because, as you said, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, and medicine's pills are coated with sugar and candy coating, and so when we talk about something that is made a little um, more... Palatable or a little more easy to Take a deal it's sugar coated I mean that mm-hmm. are, are the the Language is so imbued with these these Metaphors it's, it's those
2: terrific. are some Of my favorite entries in the book there's One on slang and there's another on Sexual euphemisms ah. And a wonderful appendix on Sugar in, in music In songs and so you can really see how language has developed these metaphors that, that use the idea of the suite. Right.
1: Well, now, this really is, um, it is compendium. It's, a, it's an encyclopedia. Um, certainly not the complete exhaustive... Encyclopedia. We we were just talking earlier about how ask a kid, they'll find one of their favorite desserts or candies that's not listed. But, um, but certainly, as everything that has to do with sugar and sweets around the world, it is truly an incredible encyclopedia. How, I
2: mean, how many contributors are there total, and how did you find them, and where did they all come from? There are two hundred sixty-five contributors. Uh, it 's a huge number, but I wanted a lot of different voices mm-hmm. in the book, and I seemed to know a lot of people, but I also relied on uh, my associate editor Michael Crondall
0: mm-hmm. and then we'll frequent five, okay,
2: and five area <laughs> editors and asked for their input and their expertise and my wonderful editor at Oxford, Max uh was also very helpful, so there was input fr- from a lot of people
1: yeah
2: um and a lot of the names I did recognize
1: as well, and many of them have been guests here on the show. Um, so I could I could hear their voice. Obviously, they were writing about their specialties, um, or just something similar to what they've researched. And and you're right, it does. It's it's interesting to read because those voices are very distinctive. That's and, good. That was one
2: of the goals, and it's also a book you don't want to read at A to Z. I can't – maybe there are people who enjoy that sort of thing, but uh, to me it's more a volume to dip into. And one of the ways to do that most successfully is to choose an entry, any entry that you think you might be interested in. And at the end of it, there's a cross-reference. So it will take you across the world and through time and through space yeah. and lead you to something that you might not have thought about. And that's, I think, the best way to go through the volume.
1: And many of these writers, are they're, they're,
2: um, they're from around the world as well. Right? Yes. Yeah. That was important to get international rep- uh, representation as well. All right. um, when, how? I
1: mean, how did you go about choosing the the topics that that you were going to assign?
2: Um, I can't remember the first one that came to mind. I wish I I could still, but I thought initially geographically. Uh, what places in the world should be represented. I also thought about very important desserts, whether they're iconic for us as Americans, or whether they're a generic type, or whether they're a, a certain uh, technique, like I think about meringue that is relatively new in, the, in culinary history. Things like, or marzipan, which is my own favorite sweet, uh, that needed to be in there. But then inevitably I wanted to bring in cultural history, I wanted to bring in uh, slavery and racism I want to bring in language and literature, I wanted art to be a part of it because it's a very important part of my own life. So there's a beautiful entry on representations of sweets in art, but also the use of things like sugar and chocolate as a medium. Right. Uh, and ours like Vic is the Brazilian, who did an amazing series on sugar children uh, based on the the kids who are working on, say, kits on the sugar plantations. Mm-hmm. And then there are also... Uh, Thirty-two color plates, beautifully, beautifully reproduced of different images of sugar and art. All
1: right, and and, um, and you mentioned too the that sugar as a medium. I mean, that's we think um, immediately in you know back in history of, of what we know about many banquets and cuisines. And it was well, Marie Antonin Antoinette, of course, um, and all his fantastic sculptures of you know sweet sculptures were. Memorable,
2: Yes, and it goes back much earlier than that. Um, In medieval times and in the Renaissance, sugar sculptures were the way we would put a centerpiece on the table now, Mm -hmm. a beautiful flower display or maybe some candles or candelabra. These were made either out of cast sugar, the uh, sugar that was melted and poured into molds that uh, represent all kinds of interesting symbolic shapes, or more often, they were made into a sugar paste. And then you could mold mold it and have whole uh, scenarios that were made out of sugar, and they were breathtaking. And in England, uh, sometimes these were called subtleties, which, of course, they're Mm -hmm. anything but subtle, (laughs) but they also had another name called Warner. And often they would appear in between the removal of the courses on the table to sort of warn people that that was the end of one course, but also be something to delight them while the service was being changed. Uh, Yes,
1: you can eat the centerpiece. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know in, uh, actually, I think it was in, um, maybe towards the Renaissance, that a lot of sugar sculptures would be actual tea sets, plates and saucers. Mm-hmm. And you know, Yes, you could eat it after you yes, used it. Yes, beautifully
2: right? crafted. Yeah. And they were given as favors at mm-hmm. uh, very important festivities.
1: All right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Byzantine era had a lot of, I mean, we're going,
2: you're talking way back, yeah. Yes, there was a beautiful circumcision procession in Istanbul in uh, late 16th century, I think, uh, and to honor the sultan and his son, something like 300 confectioners carried sometimes four men at a time were needed to carry these huge sculptures in honor of the boy's circumcision
1: Uh, and all with sugar that's interesting Well, what I would like to do is talk about a few of the entries and a few of your favorite um, should I say uh, stories when we come back after a short break so stay tuned
2: write it down by the landing this is a taste of the past on heritageradionetwork.org
0: Would an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
1: Hi, we are back on a taste of the past, and I'm speaking with Dara Goldstein, the editor-in-chief of Sugar and Sweets, the, the Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets, an encyclopedia of everything you ever wanted to know about sugar and then some, and everything you
2: didn't know and about didn't sugar, know.
1: right? And 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 the then some. Um, I mean it's thousands of years of of sugar around the globe, and um, there are I was interested to see that there were biographies included too of people who were had if not direct influence you know even a, a distant influence but before that we talked about you talked about art and how the art was so important to you. the cover of the book is just, I mean, it's drool worthy. There's
2: a little drip of uh, sugar sugar glaze.
1: And somebody was just assumed it was a beautiful photograph of this
2: wonderful fruit tart. No, it's a painting by Roberto Benedicente.
1: Unbelievable. (laughs) I mean, it is is just bigger than life and it is it looks so, it's so realistic you know, the painting, but what a fantastic cover because you just look at it and you start salivating. Salivating and (laughs) thinking about sugar. Um, and the um another thing that was interesting we talked about how you know everyone just sort of had i think americans during a certain period of time uh, went through a heavy addiction to to sugar i mean candy was well candy was viewed as a food actually too um, the woman who wrote that book uh was um,
2: samara candy. samara colas Kawash- Kawash- yeah, i'm sorry she's a i couldn't remember yes
1: yeah. and she was on the show as well and shared her information about that but why I just had to um, share the the photograph which I did on one, one of the um, social media of the World War One poster of the ration sugar rationing that we that Americans would be allowed only two pounds a month of sugar as opposed to you know the usual twenty pounds a month that we were consuming yeah. two pounds a month. That's a ration?
2: (laughs) Yeah, but you have to keep in mind that much of it was used for preserving Ah, because people were still doing a lot of their own preserving then, so I don't believe it all went uh, straight into the (laughs) gullet.
1: That explains it. Well, of course I should have realized that, right? Yeah, (laughs) Got to make those jams and put up the (laughs) the jellies, right? Okay, I was a little concerned there. Um, In... um, in we I asked you the question: How did you think of the topics to assign to all these different writers? I mean, whew, that you had to do all the research initially.
2: I did, to, but that was really the pleasurable part because it was a conceptual part, and I always love that.
1: And then, and then think about it. and okay, then the okay, editing right comes in. It's right. <laughs>
2: um, what what were some
1: of anything that surprised you when some of the authors got into a topic?
2: Um. One of the ones that really intrigued me was unusual uses of sugar. Because we tend to think of of sugar as a substance that's very familiar, and probably we don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. But it has had some extraordinary applications, you could say. In Hollywood, it used to be used to make glass, so that whenever someone was thrown through a window and the glass shattered, it was sugar. They (laughs) use some kind of resin now. Um, One of the quirkier things is, uh, I think they discovered this in Poland, but it was recent, I think as recently as last summer used in England, there were some rotting medieval bridges with timbers in Leicester. And they found that if they soaked those timbers in a 67% sugar solution, then it created a barrier so that the microorganisms couldn't get in and they could preserve. I mean, it's the same principles as preserving fruits, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sugar as a preservative, but also in, for historical buildings that are made out of wood. Huh. And they're using it now in 3-D printing, To uh, not just make extraordinary sculptures that are the 21st century iteration of the kind of things that Karem was doing, but to create artificial organs. Mm. Uh, It hasn't been perfected yet, but there are a lot of experiments being done. So it's extraordinary the uses that sugar can be put to. Wow, uh, that's that is surprising
1: that I didn't read. I, I have to. Admit, oh. I did not read all the entries. <laughs> I'll give you.
2: A, I'll give you a list at the end, and that brings me to another one that uh, is unusual uses of sugar, but spills over into sartorial sweets, which is just. A wonderful idea about wearing sugar. And, of course, we can think about the Salon du Chocolat where you have these creations and women walk down the runway wearing chocolate confections, Mm -hmm. literally. But they're making a fabric now from lightly sweetened green tea. And the uh, bacteria collect on the top of the tea. They create a kind of raft that uh is fairly thick they lift it off they dry it and they turn it into a fabric huh is it yeah. edible um, i don't know that you'd want to eat yeah. it it's yeah. meant to be worn yeah.
1: interesting <laughs> wow and you know it's interesting because um you think when you said a lot of microorganisms um even e coli are attracted to sugar and go there so that that's and yet we think of it as a preservative as well, yes. <laughs> oh, it's, it has some changes there. Um, you have a few things that you do like to talk about too, the Sartorial sweets But um, one thing I was telling my uh, my grandson about, he got a big kick out of it, and that's the pie tin.
2: Oh, frisbees! Frisbees! So right. frisbee, <laughs> this all-American sport, it actually originated with a pie tin. There was a man named William Frisbee in Connecticut, and he worked for a pie company in New Haven. And he decided to open a branch in Bridgeport, and he named it after himself, so it was the Frisbee Pie Company. And he made the pies in these tin, uh, tin tins, <laughs> tin pie plates. And embossed on them was Frisbee Pie Company, because when you got them, it's it's like with returnable bottles. You paid a five-cent deposit on the pie plate, and then you were supposed to return it. But sometime in the 1920s or 30s, it honestly isn't clear, college kids who loved these pies started playing with them and not returning them. So Yale, of course, claims it, because they are right there in New Haven, but then Harvard being Yale's rival, claims the origin, and Middlebury apparently claims it, too. But at any rate, somewhere on some college campus in the Northeast, these kids started throwing the pie plates. And then in the 1940s, with America's infatuation with flying saucers, mm-hmm. and later into the 1950s with the real space age, uh, the wham Company saw these tins and then they turned it into frisbees. Yeah. Well, it's
1: and it's sort of nice. I mean I think it's very nice that they attributed the name they gave the name Frisbee after and attributed it to the man who, who Yes they the but they tin. spelled
2: it differently. <laughs> yes, they did. instead of yeah. IE it became yeah. E E. But
1: now so. you're gonna tell me that the hula hoop started out oh. as a sugar. <laughs> I
2: looked <laughs> once I learned about the frisbee I really wanted the hula hoop to <laughs> I was always better at the hula hoop than at yeah. playing Frisbee. <laughs> yeah. Um There are—and that that
1: actually is interesting because that comes under the the section of of biographies, um, as does one on Zazu Pitts. Tell me—tell us about that.
2: Oh, so she actually pronounces her name Zazu, which is totally counterintuitive. But she was a silent screen star who had these enormous, enormous eyes and sort of a pouty face— And uh, she was the darling of Hollywood until the talkies came, and then uh, she wasn't quite as well known, although she continued to play character roles for a very long time. But she was known for her fluttery fingers. She always had this affect that whenever anything agitated her, uh, her fingers would begin to flutter in this very evocative way. But those fingers, it turns out, were really adept at making candy. And in the early 60s, uh, she uh, she was known throughout Hollywood because she would bring candy, homemade candy, to the studio wherever she went. People loved her. And she had a special kitchen built in a, a house that was designed by the same man who designed LAX. Mm. And it had a completely round kitchen. And it had marble where she could make these... Uh, temperature-sensitive candies, and she published a book in 1961, I think, called Candy Hits by Sazu Pitts. Candy Hits. Yeah, and it's a wonderful cookbook. It has uh, very easy-to-follow recipes, and I just did a blog about her for the OUP blog, if anyone wants to check it out, under the uh, Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets page on the Oxford University Press website. Oh, and There's we'll a, a definitely whole, have to look for that. Yeah, extra section on sazu pits. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um,
1: what as far as any? Um, I, there are, are sweets. And given the history and and description of sweets from all over the world, was there any that was um, that struck you that Well, as I say, that was unusual. Obviously, you picked the topics, but did someone come up with something that that? What's the most far flung foreign
2: sweet? Oh, the most far flung foreign I'm <laughs> i far I, yeah. flung foreign sweet.
1: <laughs> Hate to throw that one out at you. Yeah, unexpectedly. you know
2: but. the thing is I for me I I don't think that I found anything particularly outre. There is one entry on gag candy. Hmm. Um I actually and, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and so those would be really really sour candies uh Or really, really hot candies That's an American thing And if you think about it, that is very strange You could think about some of the Candied insects uh, Chocolate covered Mm -hmm. ants Um, And I suppose that That would be far flung But there wasn't anything That uh, Mystified me particularly Mm -hmm. The thing that did mystify Me (laughs) was learning About castorium. Now that did shock me castorium comes from the castor sacs which uh, are found in beavers and for many years they have this uh, castor has been used for making perfumes it has uh, the peach scent of bu- musk uh, peach blossom or musky or it's very musky yeah. and also in medicine but uh, so the castor sacs are either milked or also removed from the beavers when the beavers are not alive, and it becomes a hard resin that then can be dissolved in oil or, or made liquid and then added. And they found in the 1920s that it added a kind of vanilla flavor to baked goods. I just had, we just, uh, the Culinary
1: Historians of New York just did a program on the science of flavors, and they, and that was spoken about. That was almost an accidental discovery yes. in, in processing this castor oil. They discovered that it was uh, um, it mimicked vanilla
2: Yes, the yeah. thing that uh, some listeners might find disturbing Is that because it's a natural substance It's not listed on any ingredients right. list yeah. <laughs> So I don't think it's used that often Because beaver posteriors are, are hard to find these days They're in decline <laughs> But uh,
1: beware uh, <laughs> And that gives a little boon to imitation flavors. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The the um, the other things that, that was oh that I thought of was Concord grapes. That's they're interesting um, sweetness. You were talking about in nature. You know, we, we go towards things that are ripe that have a sweetness, and yet birds won't touch Concord grapes mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's a there's something um, I've. I, I it's I have written it down but I can't remember the the chemical that it is that causes them um to have an they like their cause their trigeminal nerve to uh, to freeze up and luckily so we're human and can enjoy concrete yeah, grape jam and concrete grape pie. Exactly. And the sweetness, I mean, that that, that has been used to flavor so many other things too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Um tell me what about oh you know child that we talked about the the dark side um, that I had covered, and people can look for um, my show on sugar with Andy Smith um, about the industrialization of of the sugar refining, but child labor is something that we had not discussed on that show and and it's something that you um that you cover in this book,
2: yes, when we think about child labor at least where I live in New England, it's the textile mills and the uh, very striking and painful photographs of Lewis Hine at the beginning of the 20th century. It turns out that he also has some photographs of children who are working in confectionery factories. There's one uh, really striking one from a confectionery factory in Dallas where the kids are only 10 to 12 years old, mm-hmm. and he interviews them, and they say, yes, we have to pretend that we're 14 and what i find so complex is they're working for pennies so that they can buy the new newly available penny candy. Hmm. And so there's something very insidious about it. Cracker Jack this wonderful american company actually was one of the worst for child labor at the beginning of the 20th century, no longer. But where the problem is now is in Ivory Coast and Ghana to a lesser degree, and that has to do with agricultural labor, with the harvesting of cacao Hmm. to make chocolate. And there have been all kinds of uh, international protocols to work against allowing kids as as young as seven or eight to uh, labor in the... On the cacao plantations, but it has not been addressed sufficiently. Mm. So well, that's and, problematic. And cacao has such a, a,
1: a is so intrinsically um, involved with sugar as well, because it went from just being a more of a bitter drink, yes, to then becoming a, a sought after confection. But you mm-hmm. needed sugar, right? And, yeah. So you have two complex industries with a lot of dark sides to them, you mm-hmm. know, combining and. Oh, boy, it's really uh, For our oh, own me, pleasure For our own pleasure, yeah. yeah For the sweetness
2: So I just think it, It's not that we shouldn't Enjoy these things Because we should But it, it's always useful To think about the the story
1: Right Right, exactly. Well, there are just stories upon stories. I mean, there are how many entries total are there? Six hundred,
2: or maybe only five hundred ninety-nine. <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe we kept it just short of six, but basically okay, six.
1: Well, we could call it about six hundred. Yeah. Six hundred. It's a but it is quite a book and beautiful photographs and interesting, interesting stories and information I would have never thought about that Good, you know that's involved point. <laughs> involving sugar and sweets. It's sort of everything you, as you say, didn't know or wanted to know or didn't even think you wanted to know but so interesting it's the oxford companion to sugar and sweets and dara goldstein thank you so much for joining me
2: thank you linda right.
1: and you've been listening to a taste of the past i'm your host linda palaccio